Hi, this is Mel Janelle. Today we have another episode of Parents Voice on this Monday, Tuesday, June 1st, 2021. And we have a special guest with us all the way from across the pond in the UK. We have Stephen Broughton of Hats. So we have a special guest coming that we're going to share with you guys today. And we're also going to let um, some of the parents share their stories so people can know exactly what uh, the face of child trafficking. I think a lot of times we hear um, these stories in the news and we we have no idea who it is. We hear that some kids have been trafficked, but we don't know where these kids came from. So we want to let the world know that these children have families that love and adore them who are fighting tooth and nail to get them back out of these kidnappers' hands and that we need your help in order to make that happen. We need to raise more awareness. We need to come together as people, put partisanship aside. We need to speak the truth when we see it. And more importantly, we need to educate ourselves on what our rights are so that way people cannot trick us out of taking them away from us in any type of capacity. So we typically deal with fraudulent um, government agents as well as fraudulent courts. And there's so much behind the scenes going on here. So I brought someone here today to share with you a new organization that is bringing together people around the world to raise awareness about the issues that are going on in our world today. So I'd like to introduce you, Stephen Broughton from HATS, which is an organization that he will tell you more about right now. Hello, everyone. Thanks, Mel. Thanks. Really happy to be here. Yes, um, HATS Hardcore Awakened Truth Seekers is my organization. We have a team of people here. Um, I'm the CEO of this organization. Um, but we are an organization that is bringing um, the global truth-seeking movement together and spreading the word about human trafficking and other things such as the vaccine, etc. But we do have a real emphasis on human trafficking. Um, we started it last October and we've seen really good growth. Um, one of the reasons why we wanted to start it is because we felt that there were issues such as human trafficking that were not in the public domain and people need to be aware of what's going on. Now, Stephen, I'm but, sorry to interrupt you, but could you tell us, what, how do you define human trafficking? Because we all define it slightly different. I suppose there's a lot of layers to human trafficking. Um, the way I would define it is someone that's not consenting to be traveled or moved around um, mm -hmm. is kind of a broad term, I suppose. Um, there's lots of different what there's lots of different reasons why people get trafficked, but ultimately, trafficking is what it says. It's it's trafficking a human being from one location to another location without their consent, and so this is um, there's many different asset uh, facets of that, but sex trafficking, slavery, even forced labour, um, children, adults, etc. It covers the whole spectrum, but what we want to do at HATS is explore the depths of this issue. Um, some of it is hard to swallow for a lot of people in the public domain. So we want to break it down for people and explain that this is a global scale. This is a large network. Um, well, let me so ask you one question. What do you think is the, uh, the biggest issue preventing more awareness about this issue? Why is it so hard for people to understand what's really going on? I think um, the, the way I'd answer that would be that cognitive dissonance is the main issue, I believe, that stops people from going down this rabbit hole. 
and exploring the truth around this subject because it's a very horrific and quite traumatic experience just to research this stuff. And people have stressful lives, especially with COVID and everything else going on. They're bombarded with information. And so when it comes down to it, people are just maybe not mentally in the right place to swallow this type of stuff because it's so painful and it triggers a lot of people emotionally. So I feel that people just, people need to kind of build up the strength, I almost feel, to kind of face it with two hands and actually well, understand what the scale well, is. Well, what would you say to a person who maybe feels like child trafficking isn't their tra- problem or human trafficking isn't their problem? Uh, they don't have time for these things. Why, why would this be relevant to the average person and how did you maybe come across um, gaining interest in this matter? Well, firstly, I'd say that clearly um, it can affect your life because directly, because if you're living in a community, um, you may have relatives, etc., that you don't know about um, that are being groomed and trafficked. So you may not know what's going on. Um, it's a silent pandemic. So it can affect you directly because it can affect your family itself. Um, there's a lot of people out there. There's also um, just being a good human being, I think. You know, people should have empathy for this kind of stuff because it's cruel, it's evil, and it needs to be rooted out. And clearly, um, it's a poison on our society. So absolute, just from a pure empathetic perspective, we must acknowledge this. Um, and secondly... Um, how did I get involved? Well, I've been researching um, a lot of kind of truth for a long time, for many years now, and um, it always inevitably leads to this. Um, It's the last phase, I think, for a lot of people that research many other areas. It's the kind of sometimes the final point. It's the final thing that people research. So um, I read books, obviously, and then I I did the deep dive and I, I heard testimonies and um, everything else, and it all added up. And then I read government papers and MK Ultra and everything else around that, and about the CIA. And it, it just it, a lot of whistleblowers came forward, and it, it just all added up. So um, it it just makes sense. Informed, and, uh, yeah. informed on your own. What did you see anything in your personal life or professional life that made you kind of take interest in thinking things weren't as the way they seemed? Not myself directly. I haven't had um, contact until I obviously set up Hats, which was designed for that reason, to bring people with testimonies together as well. And obviously having first-hand contact with these people, I've spoken to people that have had sexual abuse as a child or trafficked as a child. And some of the horrific stories they tell me personally, prior to Hats, no, I wasn't in any direct contact with any victims. Well, prior to Hats, what were you... Um, doing mostly? Uh, prior to HATS, I was working at IBM. I was an account manager. I was working on an AI project, actually. And um, the good Watson, I was working on that. Um, so I've had quite a lot of experience in sort of mainstream industries or core industries that the, the system is trying to roll out, such as the medical, pharmaceutical, and IT. Um, so seeing firsthand how those industries work and operate led me to a lot of truth as well um but 
prior to Hats, um, I was kind of mainstream, you know, I was researching a lot as well, but not on the trafficking side, more on 9-11 and everything else. Um, well, let me ask you this really question. Um, how do you, um, what do you believe is the motivation, I guess, in your research and investigation? Do you notice any overarching themes or, or some type of motivations behind the people who do the things that they do? In terms of the perpetrators, what's their motivation? Um, uh, Well, I believe from the research that I've done that a lot of it is um, occult-based rituals. So there's a lot of Satanism in Hollywood and there's a lot of secret societies and things that go back thousands of years. I mean, the Aztecs were sacrificing children thousands of years ago. So this is something that's been rolling through the years. It's just underground, that's all. Um, from my research, I, th- I believe a lot of it's to do with ritual. Um, and also, there's also obviously paedophiles and sick people out there. So um, there's probably, those are the two reasons I would have, I, I would guess. Maybe another issue, I don't know, maybe mentally unstable people as well. So people that aren't maybe completely wired up properly. They, that might be another reason why there's abuse happening. Well, before um, I open it up to more questions from um, our members and our audience out there in Radio Land, um, sure. what what do you think is the best solution, or what is Hats? You know, how can we, you know, what, how do we, you know, take the next steps forward into solving this problem as human beings in general? You know, what can an average person do? Well, the average person can, I think before you research anything, you need to have an open mind to research and be open to information. We live in an age now, unfortunately, where people are spoon fed their information from the mainstream media. And clearly, we know that's corrupt. So people need to be ready to have an alternative perspective. And I think that comes from, I suppose, what HATS does is kind of nudge people for the first time, hold their hand through the research and the knowledge process. We've got a mix of people at HATS. We have the the people that are awake already and then the people that are starting their journeys and those awake people are there to help those new people come in. Um, but I would say that people need to be ready for a, ready to, you know, be open-minded and face the facts. And um, so I think that what HATS can do is try to, and tries to do is try to take information, verify that information, present the facts, and then explain it in a, in a way that people can understand for the first time and take them on their journey. So eventually they can do independent research in terms of solutions, well, the more people that obviously wake up to what's going on, the more people will be able to take action. I believe personally that one of the ways we can combat this is through community active community support. So people going back to basics, so neighborhood watches, but really kind of get to know your neighbors, get to know your community that you live in. And forget sometimes we think on these, and especially in kind of the, the truth movement, I suppose, we think on these large global scales, but Actually, I think it all kind of stems from um, it stems from strong communities. If you have a strong community, people generally are safer. It's yeah. more like in the cities when things are people don't know who their neighbours are from one day to the next, and there's clearly a breakdown there. People go missing. Um, so build real connections into your communities and real put some roots down, and I think that will encourage other communities to follow. So it's kind of a copycat scheme. Um, 
that's one of the ways I would. I mean, if you don't mind me asking you, Mel, what do you think one of the solutions is uh, to uh, to combat this? Yeah, well, thank you so much for asking. Well, I kind of take your a similar approach, and we take a similar approach here at Save Our Kids. The more information is complex with, I guess, in your background, you might you might agree that information is is the commodity of our day, and the the internet, you know, and different programs are always collecting information on us and they want to know everything about us. What do we look like? Where do we go? It's an artificial way of developing a relationship. But I think that we need to also start kind of taking those same steps into gaining information because so many times we don't want to educate ourselves because of the pain that's involved and we don't want to see what's really happening that uh, we end up being very ignorant. And then I believe strongly that the government and other agencies, and they're not all bad, you know, because there's some great things that they do, but sometimes they, they lose their way like everyone else. And they have to be, you know, brought back to reality like everyone else. And this is, this is our country here. And this is our world that we live in. But uh, if we kind of don't educate ourselves and do the lazy thing and wait for other people to sort of take action or to fight for us or to read this for us or help us understand this when, we really need to just know more. So I feel like there's a deficit of knowledge on our end where they're able to kind of get all that information and put things together. We kind of need to have that same resource where we're sharing information, we're getting information, and we can, like you said, now take those, we can take our own steps. We don't necessarily have to wait for someone to tell us what's the best thing to do. Now we can kind of, since we have the knowledge, we can do what's best for us. So here at Save Our Kids, we're using that knowledge to know our rights and to actually fight for them because many times um, we're told that we can't, uh, our rights don't matter. And then we believe that. So I think that kind of what you said, um, really educating and people waking up because if you are awake and everyone else is asleep, then there's really nothing much you can do. There's not a lot you can do at all. And another <laughs> thing that I would propose as well in your communities would be to actually really come up with solutions. It's okay to sort of support each other and be that tight-knit community, but also I think there needs to be pragmatic solutions moving forward. And I think one of the ways that maybe could be proposed moving forward is that you have some kind of traffic light system or something along those lines where red is alert, amber is caution, and green is okay. And having maybe a watch list of people in your area that, Maybe there's suspicious behaviors and things like that. Um, because I think that when we look at the whole problem of this, this and a lot of the police. Breakdown in those communities. Uh, yeah, a lot of the police and a lot of the agencies, as you say, a lot of them are, have a lot of good people in them, but a lot of them have a lot of bad people in them. And, and they're I not members of the community many times that they're policing or even in. So <laughs> that's a problem. They're not integrated. They should be integrated into the communities. They should be part of the community. They should be respected by the communities. But a lot of people have lost faith and trust in that those organisations and the police because they don't see any any communication. And I think it starts with communication. So good police officers need to have good communication with their community so they feel safe and they can support each other and come up with new solutions. I think it's about empowerment as well and in the sense that we must remember not to just rely on organizations to save our kids and to save our humanity to save trafficking we actually need to step into our own power i believe and actually you know really take ownership of this as a community 
Okay. Well, Stephen, I brought you here today because I wanted you to not only share with us here and as well as everyone who listens to this podcast, what is being done and the wokeness uh, that is everywhere in the world. But I also wanted to give some of the members an opportunity to share with you exactly what their stories are so you can hear um, what's going on. So I'm going to let everyone take about one or two minutes um, and just give a brief rundown of what brought you to save our kids and what was a breaking point for you in dealing with trying to get your children back. I'm going to start off with Lori and then I'll go on to Desiree, then Renisha, and then Mahogany, and then I'll take it after that. And try and stick two minutes, you guys. Yes, Mel, is it okay that I do not have a video or did you want the video? Uh, no, that's okay, Laurie. You know, whatever makes you feel comfortable. Oh, okay, that's fine. No, I'm, I'm in a room that is actually very dark, but obviously your listeners, I'm not sure what they, <laughs> what they would like. But uh, my name is Lori. I am communications liaison for Save Our Kids Truth Commission. Uh, my older son and my daughter were kidnapped after my ex-husband, who at one point strangled me, called DCF. They arrived at my son's school, then through coercion and so-called meetings, kidnapped them in public with two police officers. Uh, this was after my ex-husband had been registered with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and had a history of assault and battery in other states. Uh, the judge also pointed out that Florida DCF's actions were unlawful and highly unfavorable when uh, they were caught in open child trafficking as they moved my children to a new residence without my knowledge for three weeks. My children protested and told them that they did not want to live with him and wanted to come home to me. Uh, this occurred until March 7th, 2019, when my ex-husband, who is not my son's father and never adopted him, and of whom I'm the only legal parent, assaulted and battered him. Two months later, Florida DCF closed the dependency case to a guardianship for my son and left my daughter in the abuse as well. And I have been fighting for them, and this will be my first priority until they come home. Wow. Well, thanks well, for sharing. Thanks yeah, for sharing, thanks for sharing Lori. Lori, I think you left out some of the some some pertinent details there because I know that your <laughs> is a police officer, and that may have had a lot to do with the um, the outcome and why he was able to gain custody of children that weren't his. And we see yes. that a lot, actually, because we see that more social workers and police officers who have that conflict of interest and who simply want to use their position to gain custody of children can very easily go into um, a court where they're, where they're an officer, actually, according to the law, and um, get whatever they want. So we have right. to all also consider that um, it's not about custody because we don't get into custody issues, but we do get into um, parents who have to pay to visit their kids. I know you have to pay to visit your kids, right, Laurie? Yes, mm-hmm. I, I do. Actually, I pay $30 for each hour, uh, which does not make sense because it was moved into a family law case. It yes. does not make sense. You know, we have a lot of tough issues, especially with domestic violence issue, domestic violence victims when, like yourself when they go into court. And sometimes the court just doesn't... Um, they just don't understand. So we don't know. We want to help you represent yourself better in any way we can. And many times it's through writing. So 
Right. The next person, thank you so much for sharing, Laurie. Oh, <laughs> and, sure. Yes. Right. And Laurie wanted to mention that, you know, everyone here is definitely a victim and has, you know, we don't accept any members that have actually done any type of child abuse. So I'm going to let the next person speak. And I believe that is Desiree. Hi. Oh, perfect. Three minutes. <laughs> I'll have to time myself. So, hi. I I missed your um your organization was Hats. Is that correct, Steve? Yeah, Hats. And I should probably explain a bit more. Hats is Hardcore Awakened Truth Seekers. Just so you know. Say that again. Hats stands for Hardcore Awakened Truth Seekers. Gotcha. So you're you're a QAnon person, probably. Um, well, we're actually, we're not anything. We're just giving people a free speech platform and a place to express their views in an open place. Um, but we are we, we, we're <laughs> yeah, um, I absolutely agree with what you stated. It does seem like it's conspiracy. It's unbelievable. Some of the facts that are out there. I, unlike you, don't want to wake up the whole world. It's so horrific. I don't think everybody would survive if they knew the truth, honestly. Um, but mostly, mostly the people doing this are so underground, even if you know all your neighbors, you're not going to know. Yeah. It's been my experience. You have to be out there on the train. Yeah. yeah I, pillars of society that are doing this. So sometimes they look like they're great people and it's hard to tell. But, but I think what he, I think what we're saying is having that real genuine um, relationship and understanding with people, because sometimes we can just look up oh, they're in the newspaper, or they have this title, but the breakdown in genuine community and knowing people and having a relationship is kind of missing as we get more in the computer and we look up, we figure uh, all these other sources are more credible to tell us about a person than our own judgment and our own investigation and our own... I agree, oh... <laughs> hey, I'm so sorry about that, you guys. No, don't be. <laughs> if I was to add to that, just quick, if I was just to add to that, what you said, Mel, was really important. I think that we we had community, then we had the internet, and then that kind of, we gained the global community, and then uh, we may have lost our actual community slightly because of that. But now I think we can use the internet to have a global community as well as plan and find solutions in our local communities as well. And I think that's really important. We can use the internet to really build our local areas. I feel that's really important to combat this. Well, do you I, feel like that there's that in general, like maybe before all the pandemic and all of the, the trafficking issues, which has come to forefront, you know, the world did kind of feel divided to some degree, whereas people felt like they couldn't call or they couldn't, it was difficult to travel. Like maybe we were so accustomed to being separated that we kind of took that as the status quo. And so there's good things that could happen from, Sort of living in a society that's borderless, to to some degree. Yeah, no, I think I sorry, I I think you're right. Yeah, I think that people. I feel that one of the things I get told from what I'm doing with hats is that people haven't felt alone in this pandemic because obviously it's made us more isolated, but also it's made us more connected. In on because people are using the internet more in their daily lives, they're not maybe working and they're being they're actually by they actually have the time to research this stuff now and not alone. I mean, when I was researching the truth years ago, it was just me and books and that was it. But now with hats and what we're doing is we're, we're actually taking people on their truth journey and really, I suppose, 
making people feel like they're in a community as well as just information and actually solution building. Because I believe that without community, there is no solution building. There has to be um, community building, real community building and real solution building. And it starts when I'm afraid as much as it, as much as it takes more time, it does take the hard yards on the research. Um, that is a fact. Um, but I feel there's a strong pipe. What I'm seeing with HATS and the growth that we've experienced is that the growth, the pipeline from people not awake to this to waking up is huge. So we are seeing a shift. Um, it's just about what we do to translate that shift into action and practical stuff and um, to make a difference. Okay. Well, I'm going to let the next person share their story. Um, and if you could tell us if you have a story that has to do with maybe fraud or perjury or being railroaded in the court, if I think that most of us have that story. But if you feel like you really resonate, please speak up right now and I'll share with us what has been your experience. I'll go ahead and tell a, a quick brief of my story. Absolutely zero laws were followed. No warrant for seven days. No answer from any supervisors for seven days. Um I didn't get along with the social worker and an ex-boyfriend, ex-husband didn't want to pay child support. And here we are. Four years later, I haven't seen my kids. Do you feel like the, the courts are kind of being able, are being used by um, certain individuals, maybe sociopaths, to be able to exact more yeah. harm to their victims? 100% is no longer a shield. It is a weapon. I've heard, that's a lovely saying I've heard, a shield is what it's supposed to be, but now it's a weapon. Well, how many of your children were taken, Desiree, and how old are they? I have four. I have a teenage boy, and at the time, I had three kids, three girls that were under five. So you could just imagine, you know, I had my hands full. So how was it, um, what were your initial feelings when they were taken from you? Oh, that I, I wasn't having it. I yelled at them, you don't have a right to go in my house. You don't have a warrant. Then the police officer, she turned around and said, I don't need a warrant and walked in my house, my empty house. They already confirmed my kids were fine. Mm -hmm. They don't need a warrant is where we're at. And I'm in California and that was Sacramento County. And it's like ground zero, I guess, over there. But that's where we're at. We have to stop it. Yeah. And we do hear some stories where the children are placed in situations where they actually, I know Mahogany, I think I was talking, I think it was you who I was talking to that you're telling me that your daughter was placed somewhere where she had some, she was abused in some way. Are you, are you with us right now? I'm still here with this. I was going to basically tell everything when it came to my time. Cause yeah, you know, I have six children and this all been going on for the last two decades, for 19 years. This was all really about my oldest child. They were coercing her ever since she was a toddler. They took my children twice. At the time, I had three daughters, and they were all, yes, under five, June, uh, January 2006. They were returned a year later because I was really young. I was scared. I just bowed down, did whatever they wanted. But then in 2013, um, August, I have four children and um, one is a nonverbal autistic boy and um, the same, you know, false allegations with the abuse, abandonment, neglect. But again, these are the same people who were 
abusive to me growing up. My child's fathers are off. Mahogany, were you in foster care or anything like that? No, we should have been in foster care. There were workers who were present, but they came and stood by and watched because my great-grandmother was a retired foster worker. So my mother, the abusers, they had help. But when it came for my generation and my, you know, me having kids and growing up, they turned on us and they've been getting away with it. Would you say that um, from from your analysis that these departments that you have turned to for help as a victim have actually victimized you more and kind of kept you in that cycle of perpetual, you know, a generational thing where you are abused? Um, maybe if you're in an abusive home, they won't remove you. And if you are not in an abusive home, they will remove you, the crazy making. And then... Um, the, the, the difficult part of thinking that you turn to some place where you're going to find help and instead being kicked down even further and having the people that you really trust and, uh, rely upon to kind of abandon you in those, in those moments. Yeah. No one is to be trusted in Michigan at all from doctors, lawyers, courts. If you come from the wrong family, it's like a crab barrel system where you're just going to be pulled down And if you, God forbid, escape, now you have to deal with the other animals of the wild and wilderness because, again, all the odds are against me. I never had a chance. I never had any help, support. So I had to escape Michigan three years ago. I relocated to Missouri, and I have five children still trapped there in the system. Now, I had a child a year and a half ago that I do have custody of here, we're doing fine, thriving. And that's more proof to the lies that they told. But now my nonverbal autistic son, he was with my father. My father just passed away to COVID. And when I went to retrieve him for my father's services, my mother, the narcissist, drug addict, she called the police on me. And now my son is still, I believe at her home, but they are wanting to try to kidnap him so they can further get welfare and assistance because the motive was welfare, taxes, again, child support abatement, like another parent, all fraud, manipulation. But these were the people who had more merit than me. Do you feel like that if you try to kind of pull yourself up and better yourself and get out, do you feel like they make it difficult for you? They did. They wanted... um Basically, it was no pleasing them. I did everything again that they wanted me to do. I, like I say, worked my whole life. Mm-hmm. It was never enough. It just was a non-ending, non-winning battle. And they just stole all my money. And they just really tried to steal my sanity. Because at that point, um, they weren't going to get a kid's back. They stole all my money. I'm dying. I was leaving, losing my health. Right? That's supposed to be kind of helping you out. None of them helped from the investigators, social workers, referee, judges. Michigan was totally corrupt, biased, and they went along with everything these addicts, pedophiles, narcissists, sociopaths said, even though they're non-workers, non-educated themselves. Okay, I'm going to stop you Stop you right there so I can give somebody else um, some time to share their story. I'm going to let two more people go because you might not have time for everybody today. So, So two more people. And then we're going to get uh, right into our um, presentation for today. 
How you doing? Nice to meet you. Uh, nice to meet you too. Uh, Raymond, uh, where are you from? Uh, Wichita, Kansas. Wichita, Kansas. And when did your when did your trouble with DCFS or CPS start? When I was with my ex, we had went through the family court procedure, and that was probably about five years ago. And I've been dealing with an agency here that contracts with them whenever they remove them from your home. And uh, that's been since September 17th, 2019. Okay. And uh, what has been your main concern? Um, Have you tried to get your children back home and they won't return them to you? Or I haven't really, I'm not really familiar with your story. It's very interesting. I've, uh, I separated from my ex after we went to jail for domestic violence. Um, (laughs) A lot of stuff happened during that time. And uh, I don't know. It seems like it was a nightmare that came to reality overnight. You know, it's just like everything hits you all at once. Okay. Well, I'll let you, I'll, I'll, I'll let you um, listen a little bit more to some of the stories and then we'll check back in and, let you share a little bit more. Um, did you want to speak, Renisha or Kelly? Uh, I can speak. Okay, who was that? Renisha. Renisha, hey, okay. Hi, how are you? It's so good to see you. I know, I missed you last week. <laughs> it, felt, it felt weird without you. <laughs> but um I have a big old long story so I would just say um a little bit right now but um my um daughter had went to Texas my oldest um in 2013 at the time she went to Texas with her grandma for uh, like oh two weeks over let her go and um she told me that they were telling her we're gonna keep you and you don't have to go home to mommy no more. And so when she came home, she was like, mom, I don't want to go to grandma's anymore. So um, I explained that she didn't have to go. So like when the weekend would roll around, she would ask, hey, can um, I come get my get the baby? And my daughter was like, I'm like, I just explained to him like, no, she wants to stay home, you know? And then um, it just went from there. They just started um, calling CPS on me, making uh, false allegations and they came to my home, all these investigators did research, everything, and then everything was fine. And then um, they put me in a premature uh, labor. I was pregnant at the time. And then they had, I had my son, and then um, they just took my kids because they said that I had my baby and um, my case was open and I had those allegations on me. And so it so took Renisha, me like, how easy it, How easy is it, would you say, for someone to make any allegation maybe as an anonymous individual without any proof um maybe someone who has a vendetta against you or maybe a family member who just maybe you're the black sheep of the family how easy would you say it is for someone to just you know make a report about you and for people to come and take your kids out of your arms for the average person how easy would you say it is it's like taking candy from a baby anybody can do it it's sad and um I have two other kids at home, um, and when I had my uh, four-year-old, they tried to do the same thing with her, and um, this time I wasn't having it, you know, like I took off with her, and um, 
I just was probably still on feeling like you're on the run. It's just like, they're just evil. They just want to take your soul or something they want from us. It's more than just um, deeper than what um, you see. It's, it's, it's pretty deep and it's terrible, but yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you all sharing your stories, you know, because sometimes people don't know how child trafficking happens. They they just feel like, you know, maybe when they see the foster children, their immediate sympathy is for, oh, they came from a bad home and we need to find them a new home. And they sell this story to the media, which makes yep. people think they're the good guy. And what happens is the kidnapper is making off with the child and the whole time creating a, uh, a diversion by yep. putting allegations on the parents. So while everyone's kind of trying to figure out why this, this p- person is uh, being, why your kids were taken away from you and they want to kind of assume the best and say, well, you know, uh, but they're, maybe they're doing it for the right thing is for the safety of the kid. And they play upon our sympathy and they play upon our, 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 our hope that kids are really being at, looked after. And we end up, um, the kids end up going with the kidnappers into all types of different situations, shuffled around from different foster homes, abused, and they shot the children around under the premise these kidnappers are so smart that they are actually helping, right? They're not the, they're not in the minivan anymore waiting outside the park to, to offer the kid the lollipop and throw him in the van. Now they've taken jobs in different professional capacities to be able to do whatever it is that they want to do. Um, Steve, I'll let you interject before I get to my presentation. That's okay. No, I was just going to say, Mel, um, every single person, every guest on this um, podcast has been truly inspirational to me. And obviously I've spoken to uh, Mel and um, Amber as well at Save Our Kids and Hats are really excited to be partnering with Save Our Kids to promote legal cases but also for you guys that have had experiences with the system, firstly, I'd just like to say that it is designed to crush you psychologically. That's yeah. one of their tactics. But secondly, we run a voice chat 24-7 on HATS. So if anyone wants to come on in a safe environment and share their stories in a free and spe- uh, safe place, we would be absolutely love you to be there with us and support you. It's a very supportive community as well. So we're excited about supporting legal cases with Save Our Kids and also giving you guys a voice, because this is what it's about. It's about giving victims voices and support emotionally and um, getting the word out to the general public. Well, thank you for saying that. And I think that you come from a unique perspective. Um, a lot of the people here have been perpetually in the system, so they, they don't have that view of a healthy society to even look at because they've been destroyed, you know, from mentally broken down and they're kind of the worldview is a little bit warped, but, you know, it's very nice to see people out there who are normal and do care and they don't need to be uh, motivated by money or by some type of um, credit or, you know, fame to want to help their neighbor. So I'm going to go ahead and get to the presentation, you guys, and I'm going to share my screen with you here. Okay. Okay. This is kind of a recap of what we already did, but I'm going to just do an oldie but goodie here. So the first thing we have is the federal acts, which allows all states, child welfare agencies, 
um, that they must comply with in order to operate. And so it's important for us to know what those things are. And the very first thing that comes to mind uh, when Donald Trump was president was the Family First Prevention Services Act, which actually, um, it has a funny title. The name seems like Family First Prevention. So they're trying to put family first and to prevent um, removing the children from the home, which is what they say each and every time. But when you read the Social Security Act um, that has been rewritten by presidents from from yonder till now, you'll know that they're this actually an illusory promise. And they they use that gray area in this Social Security contract or this Social Security Act which is kind of the same in whatever country you go to, whether you go to the UK or Netherlands, they use welfare for children and families in order to justify their um, their entrance into your private family life. And they ha- you have to have a need to justify their reason for taking control and having jurisdiction over your life. So when we go back, to, when I, when you go to the Save Our Kids website, which I'll show you later on, you'll see that um, the Social Security Act, 300 pages long. Um, it's actually a, quite a quick read, but um, it's very good to to know what they're supposed to do versus what actually happens. You'll see um, in next week that they're supposed to promote marriage, but in actuality, when you talk to people that have actually been through the system, they're told that, that if they don't divorce their spouse, they could lose their children. So, We're going to talk first before we can criticize and say what they're not doing. We have to know what they're supposed to do. So I strongly encourage anybody that's a member of Save Our Kids or who wants to know more about how the child traffickers do what they do from the children's homes to the foster care agencies. They all operate under the Social Security Act. Okay, so this was also um, called the Adoption Assistance and Child Welfare Act of 1980 by Bill Clinton and during the Clinton administration. So, but it's very similar to the Family First Services Act. The only real difference is the name. So Donald Trump renamed it, but um, kind of like uh, what our guest said, doesn't matter what partisan you're in. It doesn't matter what party you're in, either you're part of the in crowd or you're part of the goyim. So they haven't really changed anything as far as what the logistics are. But if you want to know more about um, what it says, please go to www.childwelfare.gov. That is a government website for um, what they're supposed to do. So this is a John F. Kennedy, Kennedy document that documents child welfare agency problems all the way back to 1955. Um, if you look at uh Page three, it's kind of hard to see here because, let's see, can I go back? Because of the small writing, but it says that they want to further legislation to help. um, It says the Senate subcommittee to investigate juvenile delinquency is in the midst of a study of juvenile gangs in 35 cities. And then it says... um, Further legislation is needed to control the manufacture and distribute, distribution of, our, of barbiturates, tranquilizers, and the sale of weapons and adoption rackets. So back from the Kennedy time, he has admitted that adopt, adoption rackets are a serious problem, which means that 
they use the courts to sell and buy children for various reasons. Um, in Sutter versus Artis, this is one of the crucial cases. We see um, firsthand that the holding in this case is that there are actually no responsibilities from the, the department or the states to do any of the things in the social security contract. The only thing the contract um, insists that they do is write a plan of what they're going to do, which is not a contract at all. So we also look here at 18 USC 242, which, which makes it a, um, a civil conspiracy. If someone can have, if I could have someone read this slide for me, this is the section of the constitution that shows how common it is uh, this problem. And if it wasn't a problem, it wouldn't be in our constitution. So if I could have someone read um, 18 USC 241, that'd be great. Uh, I'll so volunteer. Oh, go, oh, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. Okay. I have to make it big. Uh, civil conspiracy or collusion is an agreement between two or more parties to deprive a third party of legal rights or deceive a third party to obtain an illegal objective. Go ahead and do the rest if you'd like. Oh, how kind. That was nice. A conspiracy may also refer to a group of people who make an agreement to form a partnership in which each member becomes the agent or partner of every member and engage in planning or agreeing to commit some act. It is not necessary that the conspirators be involved in all stages of planning or be aware of all details. Any voluntary agreement. I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, going back. Sorry about that. Oh, no worries. <laughs> no. The wrong way here. Okay, keep going. I do that a lot. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I do that a lot. You'd be amazed. I work online. Okay, I don't feel so bad. (laughs) No, 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 no. It is not necessary that the conspirators be involved in all stages of planning or be aware of all details. Any voluntary agreement and some overt act by one conspirator in furtherance of the plan are the main elements necessary to prove a conspiracy. Conspiracy may exist whether legal means are used to accomplish illegal results or illegal means are used to accomplish something legal. Even when no crime is involved, quote, a civil action for conspiracy may be brought by the persons who were damaged. Thank you so much, Lori. So I'm going to, even though I have so much else to share, I don't want to overwhelm people with information. We're going to just stop right here. Um, As you see, um, conspiracy is not a theory. It's actually a real thing that is addressed and is a, a problem that our forefathers saw would happen in the future. And it gave us a clear definition to go from. Now, one of the most important things that you may have experienced is that um, they have, even if you have an illegal or legal objective, I need everyone to mute their phone. Um, But basically, they are the agents of every other member. 
So, which means you, when you're wondering why is it that your attorney isn't advocating for you, or why is it that the children's uh, children's attorney is on the same side as DCFS, or why does the judge rubber stamp and say yes to everything and never let you talk, or why is it that your exculpatory evidence isn't submitted into the court docket? Is because they all represent each other in this conspiracy. They've all made an agreement with each other, so they represent each other and not you. Um, so based on that, um, I guess I'll, I'll open up for comments here. Like, how do you, do you feel like this is a, still a, 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 cons- a theory or do you feel like this conspiracy is kind of. Hey, on that note, on that note, <laughs> you guys. Okay. So I actually, yeah, I've read all these books, um, targeting of hard to employ individuals with characteristics associated with long-term um, welfare dependence. They actually have targeting in their book, guys. You are targeted by law. To be a welfare dependent? If they find you unemployable or hard to employ, they can target you. They give themselves oh. permission right there. This is, uh, this is Social Security Act. So this is a federal book. Uh, Section 603, Title 42. All right, we're going to have to check that out, Desiree. I'm going to, section 63, could you put it in the chat box for us? Will do. So you guys, I'm going to, um, I just wanted to mention that on conspiracies, and then I'm going to show you one more before we go, uh, one more great slide about civil action for when they do deprive you of your rights. The law said that if you are deprived because of conspiracy, you may sue for damages. So that is what Save Our Kids is all about. Before you can sue for damages, you have to be able to fully work through how you've been damaged and also to know that you have the right to do so. Even when people tell you that you don't and that this is the end of the road and this is the, they've, your, your parental rights have been terminated and they've already changed your kid's name and you can never find them again. We still know that you have a, a, a course of redress. So let me show you one more slide here. Uh, I'm going to skip a slide and I'm going to share it with you. I think you might find it interesting. This is 42 USC 1983, which states here that every person who under color of any statute, ordinance, regulation, custom, or usage of any state or territory or the District of Columbia subjects or causes to be subjected any citizen of the United States or other person within the jurisdiction thereof to the deprivation of any rights, privileges, or immunities secured by the Constitution and laws shall be liable to the party injured in an action at lawsuit in equity or other proper proceedings for redress except that in any action brought against a judicial officer for an act or omission taken in such officer's judicial capacity. Injunctive relief shall not be granted unless a declaratory decree was violated or a declaratory relief was unavailable. So you can sue any party involved directly or vicariously um, who is complicit uh, by way of funding, aiding or abetting. So we are basically using this here um, to address the problems that have that so many people have experienced and been injured by. 
And now we talk about child trafficking a lot, but we don't want to be um, one-sided here. And we know that they use this to kind of take away all types of rights. And you wonder why more people don't sue when it comes to being forced to wear a mask or when being forced to take a vaccination or, or they call it a vaccination or anything else. Um, I'm going to take this back to hats. You know, we're having this issue here, Stephen, where we know what the rights are. We know that we have, uh, we're supposed to have the ability to not be deprived of rights, whether it's to the, to the fundal, fundamental family rights of our children or to just have the freedom to breathe fresh air or to have the rights to our own body. So what is really happening that is making them feel like they can challenge us to the point to taking away our rights and we're not going to do anything about it? So good question, Mel. Thank you. Glad you asked. Um, so one of the things that we discuss in our organization and the members do is that we've got something ancient in our constitution in the UK called common law. We have to remember that the legal system is now it's maritime law. Um, effectively, the state has your has civil law above um, personal property law. So your right as an individual, um, you actually have sovereign rights over the land that you reside on rather than maritime law, which is basically um, systematic um, systematic laws over that have yeah basically invasive powers basically invasive powers that's what maritime law is common law is the individual power um to govern yourself effectively and that's why they've tried to break up the family and they've they've been quite successful in trying to chisel away at those at family law for example people aren't aware of their their constitutional rights they keep believing in the, the the government look what we're seeing with covid for example we're seeing that people are happily giving away their freedoms and laws and they're writing it down as legislation in, in the senate or in our parliament so people need to re- go back to their birthrights on the land they live on which is common law and if people do that then they'll have more of a uh, they'll, they'll be able to reject the court system the court system operates under maritime law but there are there's still courts in the uk i'd need to research more about the us where common law is actually in effect working um, yes, common law is actually the the law of the land here, and I think people don't know that as well. Like sometimes we don't assert our common law rights because we get sucked into their whole maritime law, so we don't even think about asserting these defenses. Yeah, and people need to. And it takes a bit of studying, but basically, it's do no harm is the is the mantra, and it's basically just you know. I won't harm you, you won't harm me. And that is literally a sacred law. Um, Let me ask you one question, um, Stephen. What, you know, we know that, you know, you've worked in a lot of different industries. What is it, um, what is the professional liability that a lot of these people have to their clients to not harm their clients, as you said? Do you know, what is the recourse for people who are unethical, uh, omissions, errors, and things like that? That, that, that's one of the reasons why I left those industries, Mel, and because it is ethically compromised. The, the reason is there's a lot of corporate manslaughter cases that don't ever get seen by the courts because effectively lobbying is a massive issue. I mean, the reality is that these large corporations can effectively buy the courts. 
and buy the best lawyers and, and just basically prolong legal cases until someone declares bankruptcy first. Um, so it really does. The only way you can take on the giants is through class action lawsuits, which is a collectivized effort. And that's one of the reasons why I'm excited to team up with Save Our Kids is because I believe that we can support funding efforts to bring these um, class action lawsuits to um, the courts and be funded properly so we get a proper hearing. At the moment, Absolutely. I mean, the recourse is there is no accountability um, because it's yeah, actually, it's really, it, actually it's really interesting. I mean, it's, it's kind of the way it works is so maritime law is kind of used effectively for the, the people, the citizens of the nation or nations. Yeah, wow. And common law actually works quite well in the elite circles and the corporate circles that currently operate the so system. Much sense now that you say that, because we always hear about this common law and then we wonder, well, how come it doesn't apply to us? <laughs> so they have well, two actually, it's rules, interesting because your constitution is your common law rights. It's, it's, your constitution is your law. It's your state. It's your law as an individual of America. Whereas we've got a constitution. we, well, Most of our people, I'll be honest with you, have forgotten. Um, but we do have a constitution. However, I do think that you really, you need to, basically anything federal is not good. So just go back to state level, county level, almost community level, and we go back to your individual rights rather than... Having a top down. Well, effectively, when I won't bore you with all the details, but basically when you're born, you're a corporation of the state. So you're actually property of the state. Whereas common law you're a sovereign living woman or man um you're you're a living soul basically whereas maritime law actually looks at you as a subject of the state so you're actually property and i think that kind of gets into what you're we were saying before like once you once they kind of get get you into a state of dependency and consider you um desiree a not employable or kind of a, a person that they have kind of decided to target you lose those rights because they have treated you kind of as a second class citizen where the maritime law comes in and they kind of see you as that because now you're their property and now you're their recipient of their aid. And that gets into the whole thing of the breakdown of the family and needing them for services, which now gives them a foothold to to start uh, taking away all of your freedoms. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're effectively playing into this. You're acknowledging that you're a corporation of the state. You're, rec- you're acknowledging and saying to them, yes, I agree. I am part of property of the state. For example, and I want just a few examples of language and how it's used effectively. Maritime law, so when we say things like watertight, currency, um, it won't hold water. These are all obviously maritime language um, yeah. that we use in everyday life. Um, so effectively, and I, this is where I've researched, is the fact that basically the people on land that are governing us are actually land pirates because obviously pirates take laws and do their own thing and basically because of this maritime law that they but they've used it on land they're effectively pirates stealing freedoms so that's why maritime law was actually introduced it was to take away steve i can't find you online i'm not able Um, to find you so what's the best way to find you I, i dropped the link in the chat so if anyone wants to join hats, it's uh, in the chat now. Okay, um, can you put another link up for us? Um, yeah, just spam us with links so we'll have enough of them just in case it gets lost. Or <laughs> sure if somebody are. watches on YouTube and wants to just Google you, how will they find you? 
Um, you can find me on Telegram. Um, so if you search, if you go onto my, go onto the group and the channel, which I'll send now, and um, if you search in the list of people, I'm the owner. So I'll be able to uh, speak to you. I'll be able to message you if you want to yeah, message me. Facebook or Twitter? Um, I'm banned on Facebook because um, obviously I post a lot of truth and they don't like truth, do they? So, um, yeah. Uh, what does that stand for? Um, hardcore Awakened Truth Seekers. Yeah. yeah. I don't telegram, so I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. It's um, Telegram's the best place for truth because at the moment we're building a social media platform. However, um, censorship's really bad at the moment on the uh, mainstream. Um, yeah. well, one thing that we talked about, um, Stephen, is that um, you know it's very hard to use some of these platforms because of the amount of censorship. So, in even fa- a WhatsApp and a lot of our messaging programs are monitored and WhatsApp just started monitoring all of our content and all of our speaking. So um, I know that Telegram may be something, I, I don't have anything to do with Telegram or promote it, but I will say that in this age and with the, the kind of information that we're dealing with, it would be really ideal to be in an encrypted platform, encrypted platform. Yeah, so, so are not monitoring everything you say. We're building our own social media platform, which will be out soon, which will be end-to-end encrypted properly. But Telegram is end-to-end encrypted. It's Russian-owned, so there's no U.S. agency. The servers are hidden, so they can't um, find out um, what's going on. But obviously, we regulate ourselves. So, you know, we have obviously... But if you, wanna, if you want to speak in an open place away from the mainstream media and talk about child trafficking, if you do that on Facebook, you're going to get a red flag. But if you, if you do it on Telegram as long as you're not abusive or racist or whatever else, you, you'll be okay. It's just... Does tele- have uh, a Facebook follow-up stopped. question? Sorry, sorry. Oh, okay. I know, I'm sorry that she had, she had raised her hand, but I think she was fixing okay. her, her phone. <laughs> I'm sorry, you go ahead. Um, let me ask you one, one final question. Um, from artificial intelligence standpoint, for people mm. who have court cases and who are dealing with different situations where they already are being... Um, and, you know, have maybe they're being tracked or monitored for whatever reason. How how serious is the issue of using some of these different platforms and maybe people who don't really think it's a big deal? Um, how big of a deal it really is it? Um, it's a big deal, um, especially on the mainstream media, uh, sorry, the mainstream social media platforms where everything is... Um, tracked and obviously the people that work in these high a lot of the people that work with these mainstream networks are actually DARPA and some of these federal agencies that are supporting these platforms so it's a bit of a gray area telegram and other places where it's it's safer because a a lot of people don't actually provide their real names on there it's an an, it's more of an anonymous um platform but you can obviously use your real name My, my name's up there um but yeah, the way I see it going with the transhumanism and the AI is that they're going to try and track you. I think what we need to do is track ourselves, track our track, um, track them for a start, but also track the bad guys. So the bad guys want to track us, but we need to track them. And I think that's the war we're in. We're in an information war. And, I, and, and so I'll say I, this too, Stephen. I don't think that we're doing enough pursuing. You know, it's almost as if the bad guys are 
just getting away and we're not really chasing them like that. And then they can turn around and like pursue a completely innocent person until the, you know, till it won't give them any type of lenience. So I guess my issue here is why is it that we are we afraid of being judgmental? Why is it that we don't want to prosecute them and that now that they've shown us that they won't prosecute themselves or be accountable, what is so hard for people to understand about the need for them to take the lead and um, doing, making sure that good people are not prosecuted and that bad people really are prosecuted and they don't get to just walk around and roam the streets and get more jobs? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people that research this stuff will say that it's linked into uh, a larger global network. I, I guess one of the reasons is that, let's be honest about it, a lot of people are in fear. Um, they see a highly powerful clique of people um, that have unlimited resources and they just think of, we need to get out of this, I mean, I talk about it a lot, um, this little me mentality where it's like they're so powerful and rich that, and it's just a little guy on the street. And actually, there's a, if we collectivize, we're the most powerful. And they need um, us, which they're showing. Exactly. They need us. I mean, the pyramid's kind of up, so it should be upside down, really. I mean, all we are the, the voice. We are the power. Uh, we don't, we hand that power over, but actually we are the power and because they rely on us for everything, basically. So, but I do think that people see like someone, I don't know, like celebrities and rich people and they just think, well, I've got no chance of if I, what happens if they kill me or kill my family or use tactics, which we know they will use um, they, they will be scared. But if we collectivize, they won't, then, then they'll be scared because they'll go, well, hang on, we can't kill them all. <laughs> you know, we can't I, I think all. that that's what they're afraid of. And that's, which is the reason why they're trying to reduce our numbers because they need a sizable population that they can control. So I kept hearing some some vaccine information about how they needed to reach a certain number. And I have my own spiritual reasons of why they need to reach that those that number. But that's I'll say that for another day. But I also think from a physical standpoint, they need a certain amount of people to have been taking this uh, jab because um, if enough people don't take it and enough people are awake, they won't be able to control like they want to. So that's why it's not so important just for you not alone to not take it, but it's important for everyone to collectively say no, because that's going to show them that they cannot force us to do something. And it also will show that um, we have the numbers and we're not going to be you know, controlled. I mean, how is, how is important, how important is it for us to not just think singularly, but get other people to kind of to have this kind of controlled opposition it is imp- absolutely imperative Mel, and it absolutely really is massively important that we you know at the moment as we're having this podcast there's kids being trafficked there's people being trafficked as we speak so the time is of the essence and I, I really do encourage the members of HATS and you know we've got a great community to actually really put our resources together and we can do this community by community by community nationally globally and then take it all down and that's where what, what we need to do is we need to remember that we are we are the power like i said before we really are the power if we yeah, all collectivize too. if we collectivize, just to realize that is that that's the problem is getting people to realize that well that's the challenge it's a psychological thing and it's a spiritual thing i believe and also the fact is that people are so used to being oppressed and just like outcasted and left alone and 
to fend for themselves that they, they're scared and little and tepid but actually what we do need to do is remember that we've been programmed in that way and actually we need to unprogram that now and and empower ourselves and the only way you can unprogram it takes confidence it takes spiritualism it takes a mentality shift and we can only do that if we as a community start looking after ourselves supporting each other emotionally and mentally and and really just break through the ceiling and and just go for it otherwise we'll be in the same position year after year after year and and as that happens yes people might wake up to information and be aware of things but we are still in the same position there's no solutions being built and that's where i think we really need to now focus on getting people away because that's going to happen because the pipeline's there there's more people waking up every day but while they're on their learning journeys we need to actually the people that are awake need to pull their resources emotion and get emotionally supported each of each other but also build something and just being emotionally supportive sometimes it's not really doing anything but just being there um being a listening being open-minded and just being a person that they that that will listen maybe that person has talked to so many people and people didn't listen so the fact that you just listened and understood um goes a lot goes a long way with a lot of people so I'm going to let anybody who has any closing comments or anything they want to share really quickly, but um, okay, Kelly. I just have a question real quick for Steven. Okay, please go sure. ahead. Um, I put it in the chat, but I didn't know if you might see it. Are you on the um, platform Anon Up? I'm not, no, I'm not. No, that's, that's very, that's very, very open. That's a very open. Yeah. It's really, really good. It's a really good place to learn a lot about human trafficking too. People are very open and and are real um, open to sharing articles and things like that all over from all over the world. So it's a good place. Right. So you guys, yeah, we're going to wrap things up now, but what we want to do is we just want to keep you guys um, in the informed and let you know that we're, we are um, moving on. We've been able to, you know, get our legal counsel. She's starting uh, to write our whistleblower fraud claim, and that should be done um, pretty much by next week. I'm, I'm thinking it'll be done by next week. And then after that, I'm going to let each and every one of you book an appointment with her to just make sure she, your story is told straight and everything that I sent her is exactly what you want anything you forgot to mention and she'll she'll transcribe your story into the lawsuit right at that moment so that is the kind of things that we're able to do with the funds we raise we're able to um, hire people to write these class actions and we're hoping to even file more Um, we can sue uh, so many people suing bill gates for uh, spreading uh, fear and fear mongering and misinformation in the pharmaceutical companies uh, there's it's a matter of coming together and suing and making sure that they have to pay for it. The protests are wonderful and they're very helpful in bringing awareness. But at the end of the day, if they don't have a judge order them to do what they're supposed to do, and it's not necessarily the judge, it is a jury that decides these things. It's the American people, you guys, and or I won't just say American, it is the people because these judges, as you know, they're not going to do what's right. We have to get in front of that jury. So if you haven't um, submitted your affidavit, if you haven't um, s- to contribute to our legal fund, or if you haven't done any of the things that you need to do, it's time to go on this train so we can get things going. And other than that, we will 
see you guys here next week.